Take your golf expertise to the next level with Lynx Premier, unlocking the most exciting and insightful coverage of the game's courses, travel, communities, architecture, and more. With Lynx Premier, our latest subscription tiers offer something for everyone. Whether you enjoy reading the print edition of Lynx, clicking through our digital magazine, scrolling around lynxmagazine.com, or all of the above. Plus, subscribers receive priority notifications for exclusive Lynx events, a welcome discount code to the Lynx online shop, and much more. Get your all-access pass today by visiting lynxmagazine.com and clicking the subscribe link. Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Al Lunsford, joined by Joe Passoff, my co-host. Joe, we've got a fun one today. We've got a longtime friend of yours, new acquaintance of mine, but we've got a lot of connection points. Uh, and he is very close from completing his conquering of the top 100 golf courses in the world. Now, we're going to get to what list he's using and you know how long it has taken him to do this. Uh, if he's going to keep going on other lists. So we'll cover all of that in this episode as well. But his name is Hayes Holderness. Hayes, re- really appreciate you joining us. What's your favorite golf course that you've ever played? We'll start there. Oh, gosh. There's so many great ones. It's hard to pick just one, but I would have to pick Cypress Point. I love everything about Cypress Point. That one is certainly on every top 100 list. Uh, absolutely. But you have... Uh, in your journey, you're you're one away from the top 100, from what we understand, right? Or, or am I wrong about that? You're slightly wrong. Okay. Um, I need one more international course, which will be Durban Country Club, which I'll do in September. I need three more up in New York. I need Wingfoot, Quaker Ridge, Wingfoot West, Quaker Ridge, and Oak Hill, which I'll do this spring. So after the spring, I'll be down to my final one, which is already scheduled. My tea time's already on the books for this September. Okay, so you're within the year uh, and you're going to do it. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started playing golf, uh, why you started to to chase the top 100. Yeah, let's just start there. Sure. How did you start? I grew up, I grew up in Greensboro. Uh, unfortunately, my dad died. We were members of Greensboro Country Club, but my dad passed away at a very early age due to a boating accident and no one ever encouraged me to play golf. So although we were a member of the club, I was a, a tennis rat. Go leave the house every morning, go play tennis all day, go home in the afternoon. Never played golf. It was kind of an old man sport. And again, I didn't have any parental um, push to doing that. So I didn't play golf until I went to UNC, North Carolina, moved to Atlanta, got a job down there, found a Georgia peach I started dating. And when she was telling her parents about me, they said, well, does he hunt and fish? Because they're in southern georgia she said no ma'am she said does he play golf I said no ma'am said, what does he do she said she plays tennis i said well, he can't that's no good you can't marry him that only takes an hour and a half he'll be around the house all the time and sherry's dad loved to play golf so for christmas they gave me golf shoes they gave me a subscription to golf magazine i mean they loaded me up and and i moved to greensboro lived in a little starter neighborhood called kirkwood and we found that when we went to cocktail parties on Saturday nights and got together with friends that everybody was talking about their golf game that day. Nobody talked about their tennis game. So if you couldn't join in the conversation about playing golf, you really were sort of an outsider and you couldn't join in. So I dove in and took a lot of lessons and hit a gazillion balls. So I started, I didn't start playing golf till I was married and back in 1982. 
you know, working hard, three young boys. So I didn't have too much time for golf, but I'm a pretty fast player. And I think part of that is that I'd take my two older boys out when they were like six and four. There's only two years difference between them. And they'd be running around. And so all I needed to do was to make sure I'd say, you know, just stay over there long enough for me to swing the club. And as long as they were out of my club wit, I'd swing as fast as I could before they'd maybe innocently run over and get bopped. So I'm a real fast player. I don't take much time over the ball, and I attribute part of it to that. But I played a lot of golf as I could, mostly weekend golf, because I was working a full-time job, plus had three young sons. Stuck with that, loved the game, got hooked, but wasn't anything other than a recreational weekend golfer. Then in 2005, um, my boys, I mentioned I have young boys, they were off at a, a boarding school in Virginia and through a connection there with one of the other fathers, I got invited to play Augusta National, which of course is every golfer's dream to go play Augusta National. So I played Augusta National, which was just unbelievably great. And it really intrigued me now to finally be inside the ropes, even though there were no ropes when I played, of course, but on the course itself. What makes a golf course great? Why is this course held in such esteem as being, you know, the number one course that recreational golfers want to go play? And I know the tournament and know the history and you can conjure up all the memories, but what makes a golf course great? So I started trying to read a little bit on architecture, um, but not a whole lot. I really wasn't hooked yet. A couple of years later, I turned 50 years old and my two best friends, same age, we play golf all the time together. They were turning 50 and uh, the boarding school connection, his wife was a friend of mine at Chapel Hill and she actually turned the 50 that year too and make a, a long story a little bit shorter. Um, my buddy allowed me to bring my two friends down to have a foursome to go play at Augusta for our 50th birthdays. And when I did that, the three of us said, we're turning 50, we're not getting any younger. We ought to do that. We ought to play more of these top 100 courses around the country, do two or three trips a year. Each one of us will help sort of plan these out. And that year we went to Columbus, Ohio, and played some of the top ones around there. We went out to California to play Pebble Beach and Spyglass. And we sort of started our journey then. Let me jump in a minute sure. because one of the things you've neglected to say is that you got pretty good at golf. Okay. And what was your lowest handicap during those years as you approached 50? During those years, it would have been uh, probably an 8 to a 12. I, I would have cracked a single digit, but barely. Um, okay. Okay. And then you got even stronger as a player after that. Because I know you played some tournament golf. And what I'm getting at is when did you start to make the link of just playing really good golf courses, you know, before the top 100 and thinking about course design and what made one course different from the next and one maybe a little better than the next. Yes, it was during that time of turning 50 and thinking we're going to stop and smell the roses more and not be workaholics and enjoy life um, outside of work and, and family. I mean, obviously those two are, are critically important, but to go do some traveling and such. It's interesting talking about my golf game. Part of what I can point to getting better also getting shorter, but on a golf trip to Cabo, I tore my left shoulder up um, doing stupid body surfing after a couple rounds, maybe two or three beers, maybe a little bit more. Body surfing and alcohol does not mix together, particularly in Cabo where the waves turn and they drive you down like Hulk Hogan in a pile driving motion. And it tore my shoulder out of the socket. 
So ended up being okay with that. But because of that, I don't have the flexibility to take a backswing. So my backswing got a ton shorter, which actually helped my golf game because I didn't spray it so wild. And through the years, I still have a short backswing, but I got it down to a low of one five. And it currently hovers between about a four and a six uh, in the wintertime. And in the summertime, it'll get down to a one or two. So it's fun. But, you know, Joe answered the question a little bit more. Playing these great courses, you obviously don't want to go play in Augusta or in a Cypress or a Pine Valley and be spraying it all over the place and not be able to to experience the strategy that the architect wants you to experience. I mean, I think we all agree that part of what makes a golf hole great is that you you have to think about how you want to play it. You just don't stand up on the tee and bomb away and go find it and bomb away so forth. You have to think about where are the landing areas and what are the risk rewards? And if I want, where's the pin? What side do I want to approach from? And obviously you can't pull that off every time, but still you have a game plan on how you play that hole. And I'm the type where I like to accomplish. So once I got in my mind that I wanted to get better, I did hit a ton of balls and I still hit a ton of balls trying to always get a little bit better, but it made me enjoy being at those courses more when I could feel like I could work my way around them instead of always looking for lost balls and always having to drop new balls. Okay. Um, let's then we'll take you back to 2005 and you and your buddies deciding you need to go take these trips to Columbus and other places to experience some great golf. And then take us from there to you just decided you were going to jump on this train and want to play the top 100. And what list did you decide to go off of once you did that? Well, initially I didn't have a, I mean, I was using golf magazines list, but I wasn't looking at like 2005 or 2007. I just wanted to play the top courses. And that was pretty much recognized as using golf magazines, world 100 list as, you know, something that was one of the leading lists. So I never thought I'd finish a top 100 list because you look at these lists and of course, you know, eight to 10 courses change every year, every two years when the new list comes out. But there was a course in Abu Dhabi or of course in South Africa. Little did I know that now, but I thought I'll never go play golf just to go play one course. Um, I'm practical. And, and I think I, I just wouldn't do that. And so I had a, I had a list, but it wasn't, I'm chasing this list. I am trying to play as many of them as I can because I want the experiences, but I wasn't thinking at that time that I would ever finish a list. Um, even though of course it was a goal, but I thought maybe it'll happen when I'm in my sixties. And so I was looking at the the various golf lists, whatever it was at the time, trying to think about where we could play, planning trips to Scotland and Ireland. I wasn't doing anything to Asia or um, Australia or New Zealand at that time. Most of my golf was either in the States or in, you know, Ireland or or England, Scotland. So I got better and that was fun. I did start traveling and played in some, you know, local tournaments. I was never good enough to play any kind of tour, but, you know, Carolina's Golf Association type of tournaments. I liked it. I like competing. I like playing well and seeing how you stack up against others. I love the traveling. I love meeting people. And that's one thing my mother, and my mother's 98. She's about to turn 98 in two weeks. But she always instilled of us a sense of travel and taking advantage of opportunities when they pre presented themselves. And so when I do travel, 
we like going to the pubs and talking to people and, you know, walking around the little town. I'm not a shopper, so I didn't go shopping. And my wife will certainly attest to that. But we like stopping and smelling the roses and meeting people and talking to people. So my trips were not planned to squeeze in as much as I could possibly squeeze in in a short amount of time as I could do it. They were to experience part of the world. And my friends love me planning them. Uh, you know, we typically just do one foursome or maybe two foursomes, eight people, just to keep it manageable. Being the detailed person that I am, I always plan my own trips instead of using an outfitter where they're certainly worth what you pay them to handle all the logistics, but you pay them a lot. Um, in most cases. And I was willing to do that, not just to save a few dollars, which it did for everybody, but because I like knowing all the details and I like doing it myself. I, I like having my hands on it. So I know the schedule is exactly as I wanted to have it. Well, it sounds like, Hayes, that you've had doors open to you here and there because you played Augusta National uh, even before you were thinking about the World Top 100. Um, eventually, you joined the Golf Magazine panel that ranked the world's top 100 courses that opened some doors through networking and so forth is that about the time that you really set your sights on chasing the top 100 and did you start to meet people that had done it or had similar goals absolutely joe that that made a critical difference in what my quest was because i did meet people there was a retreat uh, down at mid-ocean club and i'm sure you remember it in 2015, which was after, right after I just joined. And I met a number of other panelists, most of who are still dear friends today, a couple of them I've lost contact with, but some of who are legends in the golf rating industry. And they have been instrumental in my moving on on my quest and now about to finish it. And just, you know, it's such a small fraternity slash sorority because I have a lot of friends who are female who are also were panelists then or and still are or with other people that, I mean, I had a, a friend, a, a stranger, shouldn't say a friend, a stranger from the Netherlands. One of my golf magazine panelist friends called me last summer saying this guy wanted to come visit Roaring Gap on his way down from Washington to Pinehurst. Would I host him at Roaring Gap? And I said, absolutely. And not only host him, he's a friend of yours. He'll stay at our house with us. I'd never met this guy before, but <laughs> Uh, we wanted to host him. And so I called and told him that. And I said, you can stay at our house. And I think he was a little not sure. Like, is this guy stalking me or something? He's never <laughs> met me at his house. He said, no, no, I'll go on to Pinehurst afterwards. But uh, he got to Warren Gap and he played with my wife, Sherry and me. She's an avid golfer too. We hit it off great. Of course, we have all these common acquaintances. And he did stay the night. Um, and we've been invited to go over and visit him in the Netherlands and, and all over. So it's just such a wonderful network of people and not because of the access, even though they know people, but it's because of everyone shares the same passion and you want to help your friends who are achieving something that you yourself have gotten so much pleasure out of. So when I went to Japan, I went to Japan in November of 22 and took my 32 year old son at the time. And, you know, so many of those Japanese Golf courses, the private ones, are notorious for there's no access to Americans. They're they're very exclusive. But through my friends that I had met through the Golf Magazine panel who have been there and they had established friendships, 
we played all the top courses. We on that trip we played the numbers one, two, three, four, five, and seven courses in the country, and we were treated like we were long lost children of these hosts that picked us up. Um, and so the relationships I have through being on the panel and meeting people, not only in the United States, but worldwide, being hosted by people overseas, having people, those same people come and visit me in Roaring Gap or Greensboro, it, it has made, it's truly one of life's main joys to me, you know, outside of, of family and faith. Take your golf expertise to the next level with Lynx Premier. Unlocking the most exciting and insightful coverage of the game's courses, travel, communities, architecture, and more. With Lynx Premier, our latest subscription tiers offer something for everyone. Whether you enjoy reading the print edition of Lynx, clicking through our digital magazine, scrolling around lynxmagazine.com, or all of the above. Plus, subscribers receive priority notifications for exclusive Lynx events, a welcome discount code to the Lynx online shop, and much more. Get your all-access pass today by visiting linksmagazine.com and clicking the subscribe link. It's hard to think that uh, if you had just stuck with the tennis route that a, a completing of the world's top 100 tennis courts would really compare with the uh, top 100 golf courses. Is there, you know, amongst the, the group that you talked about, the of people that have done this and completed the world top 100 or are doing so, you know, is there something, once you're done, is there a, award is there a recognition like what what happens when you're done well uh when i finish up at durban um there's a good friend i, I don't know if joe remembers it but fergal finished at durban and they made a pretty big deal out of it somebody finished in a top 100 list so i think they will at least shake my hand or do something there but no bells and whistles there is a group that some of these guys who have finished the top 100 have started called the Global Golf Centurions Club, GGCC, for having played a, a golf magazine world top 100 list. You just have to complete one complete list. Now, I've already played. I looked at I've played, I think, 147 courses that have ever been on a golf magazine list, but I haven't completed one single list yet until doing so this September. There are a couple of guys, Joe knows them, who have played every course that's ever been on any of the list. I mean, it's just incredible. But to be eligible for the Centurions Club, you just have to complete one full list. Again, I didn't necessarily think I was going to do it. And I looked at, at the numbers. In 2014, there were only 28 people who were on that list, 28 people in the world who were known to have ever completed a golf magazine list. You might say, well, aren't there some people you don't know about? And there could be, but it's a pretty small fraternity slash sorority there's one female member that group is now up to 61 people um so you think about how many hundreds of thousands of golfers are in the world if only 61 to have finished even just a single list is pretty incredible so i don't know if i'll be number 62 or if there might be a couple guys that'll finish before i finish in september but i'll be in there somewhere and the the order doesn't make a difference um they do get together. They get together. They pay annual dues. Not big, but just to have a meeting. They might go on trips when new courses open up, like, you know, going out to see the new Lido or Landman or whatever. You know, they get together. It's not a requirement that you join because it costs a little bit of something. And I think I would definitely do that. I'm, I'm not sure how active I'd be because I do want to keep playing. I love seeing new courses. Um, Sherry and I just went down. Sherry's my wife. Sherry and I just went down and played the new Cabot St. Lucia course in January to see it. 
uh, which was not on the list I was working on. It, it obviously is on the new list that just came out in the last year. But we love travel. We love people. So I, I think I'll still love to see new courses, but I'm not planning on trying to, you know, finish up multiple lists. If I look at my numbers, I'm actually only less than 10 away from by eight different lists because there's not a lot of movement from list to list. Again, five or eight and some courses mm -hmm. go off and come back on. Um, but is it a goal of mine to finish multiple lists? No, it might yeah. happen just because I want to see these courses. I mean, you got a Wentworth that I hadn't played that was on a lot of earlier lists and it was held in on lists for so many years. It must be pretty darn good. So next time I go to the United Kingdom, I want to play it and not so much to check it off, but because this has got to be a really good course. Yeah, it kind of reminds me like, you know, you probably got to a point where you're like, well, I've done so many that I might as well keep going. In college, I I took a few history classes and I was like to the point where I needed one more history class to become a minor in history. So I was like, well, I might as well take one more history class so I can be a history minor. Well, this is a true story. <laughs> um, so it ties back into Carolina basketball, which before we started this, Al and I both went to UNC and both love Carolina basketball. A year ago, late January of 23, I took three fellow panelists down to Chapel Hill to go to a basketball game. It was Bob and Paul and Adam. And I'll leave last names off just for privacy, but everybody probably knows who they are if you're in this little thing. So we went to a Carolina basketball game, went down to eat beforehand. They said, how many courses do you need on your 100 quest? I said, I need 17 from my best list. And they said, which list was that? And that was like the 2017 list. But all of us who were in this have the whole sheet that one of the guys has put together where you can track, check it off, and it tells you how many you have left from each individual list. And 17 remaining was my best list. And it included <clears throat> Ellerston, though, in Australia, and the patriarch of the Packer family had passed away, and I had tried to get on a friend of mine from Chicago, uh, John. We tried to get on when we traveled over there and couldn't do it, so I'd pretty much given up. And I hear you just can't get on Ellerston anymore. They said, well, what's your second best list? And I said, well, actually, it's a 2013 list, which has significance to me because that's a list that was in place when I joined the panel in 2014. And the 2013 list is the last one without Ellerston on it other than 23, which just came out, which bumped them out of the top 100. They said, you ought to do it. And I listed off the ones I needed. Um, I needed about 11 international and, you know, six U.S. They said, you got to do it. You're so close and you've already done Augusta. You know, that's the hardest one. Da, da, da. And so with Paul's help, who's done multiple around the world trips, this was in early February of 23. I planned an around the world trip in September and to knock out all the remaining international ones I needed. I would have played Durban then, but Durban had catastrophic flooding in 2022. So the course was closed all last year. So I couldn't do that. But I went to, I went from the States to Australia and then to Paris and then to Wales and then to um, England and Scotland and Spain and Portugal and then I closed up in Brazil just for good measure in 32 days by myself. Now, I was hosted at a lot of places. I had a great time, but I was living out of a suitcase every night, which my wife wanted no part of that kind of itinerary. But it was because <laughs> of that dinner, going before a Carolina basketball game with with Bob and, and Paul and Adam's encouragement 
as well as their contacts. Because like I got on Morfontaine and Morfontaine's another one that's extremely difficult to get on. But they said, oh, I know so-and-so and so-and-so and, -so and he'll let you come play and host you. And sure enough, he made some calls and and it happened. So, Joe, that's the Carolina basketball experience. One one night you're going to a game, the next you're on a 30-day trip across the world playing golf. You just never <laughs> know. Those guys aren't even Carolina grads. They just they get caught up in the <laughs> experience. It's still a marvelous recruiting tool. <laughs> Joe, do you have anything else for Hayes before we do like a rapid fire with him where we want to ask a few questions about specific courses? Well, you know, Hayes, I mean, obviously through networking and being hosted, you do overcome a lot of the language barriers. But is there one travel tale in particular that just crazy, wild, amazing that you experienced it, overcame? Um, the overcame part would be travel related, such as British Air canceling my flight from Portugal to Brazil, it, changing planes in Heathrow. They canceled it the day of, and I had to scramble and get from Comporta to the airport, cut through the front of a 400 person line who, when they didn't, I didn't speak any Portuguese, but I, I did it and they let me through. But I wouldn't put that wild so much. It's just hectic. The most wildest thing i've probably done this out of the box was during the trip to japan and i was so glad my 32 year old got to see this because we were treated so well but before we went one of our hosts said oh i'm a member of the and i might mispronounce it and i'm sorry if i do but the tahayo club which is a social golf club in japan and they go play they have a number of ac access to a number of courses but they also have a city club and they do dinners and such so would you be a guest speaker for us and tell us all about your experiences and of course, I don't speak a lick of Japanese and they didn't speak a lick of English, but I had a translator. And so I had to prepare a talk and give it and it was translated. And then I, I asked my translator, I said, how much do you want me to say before I be quiet so you can translate it? Do I say a couple sentences, a couple paragraphs? He said, no, just go for a couple paragraphs. As y'all can tell, I tend to talk a lot about something I'm passionate about, which golf certainly falls in that category. So he had to throw up the timeout sign to me a couple of times, like, wait, 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 that's enough. Let me, let me translate for a while. But that was really fun. I don't know what he told the group. I don't know how much what I said, what he told me, but I had a fun time. And I'm glad my son was there to experience it and see it as well. Very good. Al, uh, I'll leave it to you. Well, the first question you already answered, uh, favorite course in the top 100, I assume that would have been Cy Cypress Point, uh, since and you already answered that one. And I might add, that's not only my favorite course, and I played it with Hayes, but it is the favorite course of Lynx Domo Jack Purcell. So, mm -hmm. Hayes, you're in good company on that one. There you go. Well, I'm sure we have a lot of other people, but that was a very memorable trip. We stayed in the clubhouse. There are only four rooms up there, but we got to stay in the clubhouse overlooking the 16th green and the sunset. It was just spectacular. Played My goodness. Forward. Did you and Joe have a match? And what was the outcome there? We had two other guys with us. So um, we had friendly competition. Don't remember how it turned out because I've long moved past competition results, making a difference in how much I enjoy an experience. So I'm not sure what it was. But, but I had... remember this. But I remember this. I made my one and only par at 16. But Hayes made a birdie on the par 3 16th oh. at Cypress Point. And that is special. Yeah, that one stands out. That birdie, I've got the trio of birdies on Cypress 16, Augusta 12, and Pine Valley number five. So that's a good trio right there. 
Whoa, sure. man, you're not kidding. Okay, I know you said what? you played um, about 140 or so that have been on a top 100 list at one point, uh, but do you have a course that you've played that is not on the top 100 in the world and you think should be? Well, the freshest one that comes to mind right now would be Cape Wickham, which was on the list for years um, down on King Island outside in Tasmania. And it was on the list for years, got up as high as in the 20s. And it dropped off the most recent list, which many were surprised at. And I'm in that camp of being surprised as well. I was there on a picture perfect day. You can be subject to some bad weather over there on King Island. The, the two days I played it were Chamber of Commerce, beautiful days. So I have I hold that in very high regard. And I'm surprised that it slipped out of the top 100. Another course, so that that's one. And then the other one, which is fresh in my mind just because I played it just three months ago in September, is Valderrama in Spain. And Valderrama, it's manicured perfectly. I mean, it's there Augusta National, if you will. Everything's perfect manicure and, and all. It doesn't have the eye candy, if you will, of the Lynx courses or the, you know, the Cliffs courses in the water. But... If you study architecture, you will love Valderrama because of the strategy required throughout the course. You just don't hit driver off of every par four because with the runoffs, you'll get blocked out from a stand of trees. It's a parkland course. There's a lot of trees in there. And my caddy was great that day. And he told me, hit eight iron off this tee because if you hit your wood, you'll be blocked out by trees to the green. I hit eight iron, hit another eight iron, made a putt for a birdie. I distinctly remember that hole so well. I'm like, yeah, if you, if you didn't have a caddy telling you this, you you would not appreciate the architectural value. And he said, this course is so great because, you know, the 15 handicapper can play it, the 20 handicapper can play it. You don't have to, you know, play angles if you're not uh, of the skill level where you're comfortable doing that. But if you are, you need to think your way around the course. And and I love Valderrama, that it's dropped off too. So I, I would put it in my top 100 just because of strategy required that most people probably don't, don't look at. All right, I'll go next uh, because... You've been on Augusta National several times, and that's the answer that many people give on which course is the most challenging to get aboard. Well, for the for the golfing world as a populace, it would be Augusta National for sure. Um, and I've been fortunate to have been invited back, but as a everybody says, you don't ask to go back. You wait. Um, I'm sort of on about a four or five year rotation. I'm fortunate to know a couple members now. They have so many people they want to take, and I can certainly appreciate that. So if I never get the chance to play it again, I've been very blessed. But I have been fortunate to go back a few times. So for me, that wasn't the um, I had an opportunity that not many people have to to know a member and be invited back. Otherwise, I would say the answer would be Ellerston, which I have not played because I couldn't get on it. So it's a prime example of hard to get on because with a lot of different panelists making efforts, we just couldn't get access. Yeah. And again, you mentioned it earlier, uh, but that was a course in Australia built as the private domain of Kerry Packer, who was uh, one of Australia's richest men, leading industrialist and, um, and wound up being a good friend of Greg Norman and Greg's company built the golf course. Uh, but it was just his private domain. And uh, so it was very, very difficult to wrangle an invitation on. And it was a lot of controversy when it would actually make the top 100 because there were just a tiny minimum number of panelists 
that were fortunate enough to get on and play it and evaluate it so highly. So, um, you know, maybe for folks chasing the top 100, it's not a bad thing that it's no longer uh, part of the current top 100. Yeah, there are a lot of people I, I know who are in the so-called 99 club, which is they've got 99 and the only one they're missing is Augusta. But that's that's the tough one. So, Hayes, you've seen almost all of them, almost all the greats. Which course surprised you or even delighted you that you weren't expecting the experience or the golf course to just be so good? You know, that's a good question. Uh, one that pops to mind was when John P. from Chicago, and a good buddy, we did New Zealand together, and then I went to Australia, and we wanted to squeeze in one extra round. And so the day that we were flying out of the airport, Wellington Airport at 1130, we played Parapara Umu Beach at 7 o'clock. First people out, we blitzed around and made flights in time. He was heading back to the States, I was heading to Australia. And I love Parapara Umu Beach. And I really had no expectations because it was sort of just an add-on to Terry Eady and Cape Kidnappers and Corey Cliffs. But I thought it was so much fun. The, the mounds and the funny rolls out. Um, we had a, a beautiful morning. I, I love Parapara Umu Beach. And then most recently, last May, Sherry and I and another couple um, of friends who are a couple, four of us, we went to our Northwest Ireland and we got out and played Critch Island, a little nine hole course there that you can play from different tees to have a different, uh, slightly different holes for the quote back nine. And I love Critch Island. It's almost on the edge of the earth of Ireland's coast, but it is so much fun and it is so gorgeous. Um, certainly a hidden gem because most people don't go that far off the beaten track to go play it. And how do you spell that, the first name? Well, it's spelled C R U I T. Okay. But all the locals will tell you it's pronounced Critch. All right, Look, folks. Critch that Island, is the a prettiest nine hole course you'll ever play. There is a great recommendation for you off the beaten path, hidden gem in Northwest Ireland. And if you're you like me, you thought it was Cruet. Yeah. If, if you're like me, you thought it was Cruet Island. So, well, I was in your same boat, Al, before I got corrected over there. <laughs> You mentioned you play out at Roaring Gap a ton and at Greensboro Country Club as well, being a member of those two places. Are there other courses that you play on a regular basis that, that you would qualify as being places you like to play and have played often? Um, those would be the main two. I mean, I'm fortunate through this whole network and, and not through people I met through the network, but have become dear friends. And again, they stay in our house, we stay in their house where... I'm able to go up to Long Island, you know, you know, maybe every other year and get back out to Shinnecock and National. That's a treat. Um, I got a dear friend up at Oakmont who I love, he and his wife, and he's a unofficial club historian. So just spending time with him in the clubhouse is such a treat. Knows every story of every picture on the wall. Um, but those are places I might go to once a year, or once every other year. Uh, on a regular basis, it'd be Roaring Gap and Greensboro Country Club. I've got a good friend who's a member of Old Chatham down near between Durham and Raleigh. Might go down there a couple of times a, a summer or shoot over to Grandfather once in the summer. Um, but as far as regularity, Roaring Gap is, is my great summer course and Greensboro is my off-season course. This is an audio platform, so you won't 
be able to know that Hayes's background is a, a picture of a hole at Roaring Gap. So we, we enjoyed looking and talking yeah, about that uh, here today. Last question would be, is there a course, this may not even be a thing for you, but is there a course that's still on your bucket list outside of the ones that you have to play to complete your world top 100 uh, list? Is there is there another course that you just haven't played that you know about that is on your bucket list that you want to play? Yeah, that's a great question. Somebody asked me that during my trip. They said, what will be left for you after you finish this? And I'm in the, sort of because I'm at peace with it. I've certainly tons of places I hadn't played. But I really don't have a bucket list after this. Um, I've got an invitation to get out and play Cap Rock Ranch this August, which I'll go to, and I'm really looking forward to playing that. I've never played Grove 23 down in Florida, and I'd like to play it, but these places that I haven't played yet are not bucket list to the degree where I'm trying to think of every avenue I can do to make a contact, to try to get on. If it happens, it happens. That's terrific. But I've been very lucky through a number of different uh, venues, whether it be Joe and Golf Magazine, whether it be my mother and her network of friends, um, parents of my kids in school. I've been very blessed. So I don't have a wish list. I don't have a bucket list left once I finish these. Well, last, Hayes, yeah. Hayes, I, at Grove 23 in Florida, wasn't, wasn't that founded by some guy that used to play basketball at Carolina? It was, but, and I used to have his phone number and when he was in Chapel Hill. We were scheduled to play around in Greensboro. I still remember. What, was that, what was that fellow's name again? <laughs> Chapel Hill. Um, but I'm not on MJ's inner circle. <laughs> it's well, funny that you memorized uh, this number, though. You're like, I can't forget this. Well, I had the number. I yeah. want to say what it was, but I had the number. <laughs> um, it's easy to remember because it was almost close to the 1982 championship game final score. <laughs> wow, there you go. <laughs> you know, Al, I figured this discussion would go right back at the end to North Carolina basketball. So um, <laughs> there you go. A perfect way to wrap this up, I think, Joe, just kind of not talking about golf anymore and and transitioning on to other things that – as Hayes will do once he's done with his journey, he's going to move on to other things, greener pastures. Well, greener are different. One of the things that's taken a lot of my time now is that, and I'm, again, very lucky they're here in Greensboro. I got three grandchildren now. So they are all live in Greensboro. They're ages four, about to turn two, and one. So golf is taking a, a secondary seat on certain days and occasions, happily so. Well, Hayes, I think you've put some nice things in perspective because anybody that reads links magazine follows our podcasts in their own way are chasing the top 100 i mean it's in pursuit of the best of golf and that includes the best architecture the most significant golf courses across the world and so man it was it was fun to have your perspective today well thank you it's a pleasure talking to you i, I love golf and Digressing into Carolina basketball is always a passion, too, and talking about some of our old acquaintances who were instrumental in being on the golf panel and then helping me and are still dear friends now. And I look forward to I'm actually going to be down in, in Pinehurst next Tuesday night, Joe, having dinner with um, a couple of those guys. So, Very good. Good deal. Well, good luck uh, as you 
you conquered the list, and hopefully there are no snafus. You can get it done this year. We'll be rooting for you and look forward to hearing from you again once you're all finished and, and showered you. by your fellow members we of the purposely GDP. planned it. Uh, we're going to stay over and do a safari sharing. I've never been to Africa, so we're going to stay and do some safaris. But we purposely planned it where playing Durban is the first stop. So that if something happens on the trip, I have knocked that out. It is There you um, go. The first stop. And uh, I'll just rent clubs because it's hard to carry clubs for the rest of the trip. But I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, keep fingers crossed that all goes as planned. All right. A great celebrations awaits Hayes Holderness. Thank you again for joining us on the Lynx Golf Podcast. Uh, we'll catch you again soon. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, yeah, Hayes. Love the podcast. Love the magazine.